You are now tuned in to Believe. Do you believe? But that doesn't mean I have to keep carrying this burden. I've done what I felt guided to do by spirit. That person is not in a space to receive it. I have to lay that down. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer guilty, responsible, afraid, vulnerable. I have to lay that down. So until we come to a moment of realization where we're in control of that, we're not in control of how people receive us, but we're in control of putting that burden down instead of choosing to still carry it. You are tapping into Untapped Keg, a podcast about sobriety and mental health, spotlighting stories that provide hope and love. Talking about sobriety and mental health, we talk about subjects that can be hard to take in and can also cause some mixed emotions. Keep that in mind as you're listening to this episode. Find us on all podcast platforms, Untapped Keg and YouTube.com slash Untapped Keg. Join us for live recordings on Sundays. All right, let's get to this story that provides hope and love. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tapping into some Untapped Keg, our podcast where we look at different perspectives about sobriety and mental health to hopefully give you something that you can try and implement into your own life. I am RJ Zimmerman, and I have the honor and privilege to be joined today by Coach VMP. Coach VMP is the founder of the Mental Health is Sexy brand and is an author, speaker, self-mastery coach, and a relationship coach coach for women. She specializes in helping her sisters move from heartbroken to healed. How are you doing this morning, Coach? I am super fantastic. And you said that correctly, sisters. Sisters. Yes. I wrote it down <laughs> with the emphasis to make sure that we had it. <laughs> very good. Very good. Very Absolutely. Good. Uh, so let's, let's, let's get into a little bit of, uh, the mental health is sexy. Where did yes. that originate from? Because I, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So yes, as you mentioned, I created and trademark with the government. So we official official, <laughs> uh, the mental health is sexy brand. Just gotta let everybody know that. And so where it came from was, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a speaker, um, and I'm a national speaker. And a lot of the times when I would speak to different organizations, businesses, religious houses, whatever the case may be, I would ask them when we're talking about mental health, um, before we got to mental health, I would ask them, you know, what was sexy to them? Depending on what that subject matter is, I asked them, list your top, top three things that are sexy to you. And it was always the usual answers. When people are looking for a mate, they're looking for height or weight or um, length of hair, credit score, uh, how you treat your mama, how many kids you got, what kind of car you drive, all of the physical uh, entrappings, right? And then sometimes in religious houses, people would, you know, talk about God and their faith and they have to be baptized. It's almost like everything under the sun made that list of this is what I need in my ideal mate. Very rarely, almost to none, was mental and emotional health on that list. And when you think about that, people always say, oh, finances or infidelity breaks marriages or relationships or all these other things. But now if you look up the statistic of the top five reasons why why marriages fail or why relationships fail, nowadays, mental health challenges is making it between three and five on that list. 
So there has to be a conversation now about all the other things I mentioned previously. Yeah, those things are important because nine times out of 10, first, there's a physical attraction or a spiritual attraction. But now we have to dig deeper and say, okay, mental health is sexy to me, too. All these other things are sexy. Mental health got to be in order, too. So in 2018, I attended a workshop and we were just talking about branding and marketing and driving home from that workshop. I was on fire. I'm excited. Oh, my gosh. And And while I was on the phone sharing with my husband about the workshop and how excited I am, clear as day, the phrase mental health is sexy flashed across my mind, clear as day. So I spent that afternoon with my youngest daughter, um, who's who's an artist naturally. And I asked her, to, you know, draw me a mock up. This is what mommy has in her brain. And but I don't know how to draw. I can do stick figures. So that ha- how it first came into inception. And then that next year, 2019, I said, you know what? I keep dreaming about this. I keep hearing about this. I keep seeing signs about how this mental health conversation is increasing, not just with athletes, but in just everyday conversation. Let me trademark this because we're going to build this brand out. This is going to be something. So when we think about the phrase mental health is sexy, when people think about the word sexy, there's usually three adjectives that come to mind. And it is alluring, attractive and desirable. Whether we're talking about a car being sexy, a person being sexy, a dress being sexy is something that we want. It's something that if we don't already have it. We will do all types of things to get it. Like it's like we're a horse with blinders. I want that thing. I want that car. I want that person. And I just feel mental health, the attainment of mental health, the sustainment of mental health should be something on that high caliber. It should be something that's sexy to everyone. So that's the 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 basic origin story of the mm-hmm. mental health is sexy brand. It needs to be something that everyone it, it crosses religions, boundaries, ethnicities, um, sexual preferences, um, you know, different relationships. Everybody has something that's sexy to them and mental health should be on on that list. I say the top three. It should be one of the top three things you talk about when you're saying what's something sexy to you and desirable to you. I agree. I completely agree with uh, what you're saying. And it's listening to you talk too. like just thinking about what we know now compared to what we knew even back in 2018 when you had the foresight to trademark this and start this brand like now that we talk about mental health and we're really exploring like everything that it touches right and mental health is is everything like it's it's your brain period so anything that comes after that is part of your mental health and you listed the reasons that um divorces happen and it's a lot of those reasons our mental health as an underlying factor, you just don't say mental health. Agreed. So really, what is the reason that we end up, uh, I would say like not moving on from a relationship or, you know, even getting divorced or any of this, like generally it has to do with mental health. We just don't say it as the reason because um, honestly, we were scared to talk about it not too long ago, at, including myself. So, mm-hmm. And another reason that I love this mental health is sexy from a personal perspective, too, is in the past couple months, like I've so a few months ago, I really started a mindset shift from self-loathing. I finally was able to identify that that's really where my mind was 
Um, and then I've kind of turned it into slowly becoming more okay with myself. And part of that is I started actually buying new clothes. So I haven't bought new clothes in probably like 10 years. Like, sure, I have like a new piece here and there, but like nothing, not like a significant change to keep up with styles or anything. Like I would buy new sweatpants to lay around in sweatpants. That's what I would do. So like you have to feel good to look good in my, like that's how I, I feel right now. Like people may have given me compliments before, but I didn't feel it right Mm -hmm. now. I just don't, I don't care what other people see. Like I just, I want to feel this or look the same way that I feel now, which is a lot better. And so like the, the multifaceted view of mental health is sexy, like absolutely like nailing, loving all of it, loving all of it. So (laughs) coach V what, what, what started you down the path to be self mastery and a relationship coach for women? Yes. So first I want to say, RJ, your new threads look nice. I see you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And I I did just want to piggyback quickly. When you mentioned that the reasons for divorce, um, when you get to the bare bones of it, it does relate to mental health. We just don't say it just for everyone to, to, for all of us to be on the same page. When we talk about domestic abuse, when we talk about substance abuse, when we talk about financial challenges, um, infidelities, all those things that are the common reasons for divorce that are listed, I like to describe them as byproducts of poor mental health. So I just wanted to drive that point home because a person who has poor mental health, whether it's long-term or whether it's episodic spurts, their behavior is that of not loving towards themselves and not loving towards others. So that's where you get the abuse that comes in. That's where you get the poor money management. Um, That's where you get the um, the the infidelity, because there's there's no conversation. There's no self-love. There's no love towards your partner because you're dealing with something internally. Again, like you said, we are just not labeling it as mental health, because if we be honest, the term mental health or mental health awareness, I'm sad to say this, but I feel like it's a reality has only became trendy within the past few years. Yeah. There's been people talking about it in pockets here and there, but I think it really, really took off from my memory and it may be someone else's memory. um, But from my memory, the biggest thing that I remember was when the Olympic swimmer, Michael Phelps um, and his whole weed smoking epidemic thing. And they came out, he was suffering with depression or anxiety and that helped him and all these other things. And it was like, to me, it seemed like other celebrities just popped up. Again, they've always had mental health challenges, but now it was a trendy thing to talk about, trendy thing to pop out. Um, so I just wanted to, to just piggyback off of that. When you talk about one of the certifications I have as a self-mastery coach, that played directly into you being aware of, yeah, people tell me I look nice, but I don't feel it. So I don't care if a thousand <laughs> people in one week tell me, oh my gosh, you look nice. If I don't feel it in here and in here, you're just telling me words. I'm going to say thank you because I appreciate your observation, but I'm not there with you yet. So that's a level of self-mastery, including, or some people know that term self-awareness that, hey, I hear these people. I just don't see what they see. So let me identify what's going on inside of me 
that I need to make that shift, or as you said, that mindset change so that I can dig deep and say, okay, hold on now. I see what they see. Yep. I'm handsome today. I'm cute today. I'm popping. My haircut is flat. <laughs> my new threads are nice. That's a level of self-mastery and self-awareness as well. So I want to do the mini golf clap because you're transitioning into that because it's an ongoing process. You may feel good today and then something triggers you or something happens or some memory come up and that same shirt you had on last week may not look so good this week. And it's not that the shirt changed. There was something up here that changed and triggered a thought that took you backwards. So that goes into that self-mastery and that mindset as well. Now, I didn't know all of these things 20 years ago, which is what got me started. I didn't know later in life, but that's what (laughs) got me started into being um, a mental health advocate, being in the mental health space, and then also choosing to not go the clinical route, to go the holistic alternative route. So 20 years ago, I went to a therapist. Back up. Before I went to a therapist at 16, Um, And I still don't know to this day, and I'm in my 40s, I promise I still don't know to this day where this idea came from. But at the age of 16 is the first time I practiced self-mutilation. So self-mutilation means I was a cutter. I was never suicidal. So I didn't want to cease existing. I just wanted the internal pain to stop. And I didn't know how to articulate that. I had a volatile relationship with my mom. Peace and blessings be upon her. She's passed. And my mom was a very, very religious woman, very religious woman. And so anything, any trouble, any issue, any teenage problems, any household issues, it's pray, 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 pray about it. What the Bible say, pray about it. What the Bible say, when you take a strong religious conviction coupled with a black household, because I could say it, I'm gonna call it what it is, coupled with a black household, a black upbringing, um, black tenants, black mentality, meaning we don't talk about mental health. That's the devil. When you have those two forces combined, a strong religious conviction and the, uh, the black mentality around mental health, that is a complete recipe for disaster. So being a teenager, having thoughts, having feelings, being afraid to have different conversations, I, I needed an outlet. And on this particular day, So at that time, I was working at United Dairy Farmers, my first job, wear aprons, and there were people always hitting on me at the dairy. And I was just too nice to say no and be dogmatic. And like, I wasn't raised that way. So I would smile and be gracious. Phone numbers would come across the counter. I'd take them, put them in my pocket. And usually, I would empty my pockets before I went home, like literally throw these things away. Mm -hmm. I did not do that that night before. So when I put my apron on, I don't know what was fueling my mom that day, but she put her hands in my pockets and pulled out like three or four phone numbers. And instead of having a conversation with me about, hey, what's going on? What is this? Who are these people? She went from zero to 100 real quick. In my face, yelling, calling me everything but what she named me, the spittles trickling my face and I was so broken because I was never disrespectful to my mom. I stood there and I took it and she left. Her and my sister left and did whatever they had to do because I was on my way to work. So I had an hour between that experience and when my bus was coming. And I remember pacing. As I'm telling the story, RJ, like I see it in my mind clear as day. Like I said, I'm in my 40s and this happened at 16. But I see it vivid in my day. Like layout of the apartment, everything. I'm pacing back and forth in the apartment. I'm upset. 
probably having a panic attack now that I'm looking back at it, um, breathing heavily. And all I knew was I got to be at work in an hour. I'm not going to call off work because I'm not about to be here when she gets back. I, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And like I said, I don't know where the idea came from, but I went in the kitchen, um, grabbed the knife, paced back and forth for maybe another five minutes, stood in the hallway of the apartment, of our apartment, the little hallway between the living room and the bedrooms, and just kind of leaned like this, crying. And when I looked up through my tears, this part of my arm was visible. Knife was in my right hand, and I made 10 shoop, shoop, shoops, like real quick, without even thinking about it. And as soon as I did that, it's kind of like I snapped out of a fog because I saw all this blood. And then all I kept thinking about is I'm going to get in trouble if this blood hits our carpet. Like I, that, that was my next thought. Like I was afraid of my mom at a certain point. I ran in the bathroom, cleaned it up as best I could, wrapped it up, did not miss my bus. Went to work like nothing happened, made up 511 excuses to what happened and kept it moving. I hid those injuries for two weeks before my mom, again, on the humble, before my mom found, seen them. And by this time, um, so I didn't have medical care, which means I didn't have stitches. I did know enough to clean it, peroxide, alcohol to clean it, but yeah. I didn't have medical care. And I should have probably had stitches in medical care. So just think about two weeks later, something healing on its own. Um, I'm a light brown complexion, so they were dark. Like, it was gross. And my mom freaked out. And by her freaking out, went into a religious tirade conversation mixed with a little profanity, mixed with a little, they're going to put you in a white coat. You're going to be locked up, take medicine the rest of your life. That's what you want and go to your room. That's how the situation was handled. So again, no conversation, no professional attention, none of that. So what that taught me was don't nobody care about me. Like yeah. don't nobody care about what I'm going through. It's more so safe face for the family. I'm a be, I'm an embarrassment. You know, there's no such thing as again, this term wasn't talked about back then, but I'm saying it today. There's no such thing as mental health care. Mm -hmm. That's the devil. Pray it away. Why would you do something like that? Like it was just a, a very traumatizing experience. So what I did for the next two years, I did not harm myself anymore, but that didn't stop the thoughts. But I was more afraid of my mom knowing that I continued the practice. Versus me really figuring out what was wrong, caring for me, even asking for help outside the home. Because in black households, whatever happens in that house, stay in that house. You better not tell nobody. You better not mention it. You know. And so that's how I was handled. So when I moved out at 18, I resumed the practice because the feelings and thoughts never went away. I just knew it couldn't be in a public place because people would freak out or people would think I'm crazy. Or people will think, you know, oh, my gosh, it needs to be locked away when on a good day, I was great. My resume was good. I was a great person, had friends outgoing, but there was something inside of me broken. So I just started cutting in another place so that people wouldn't see it. You know, unless I was intimate with them, people wouldn't see it. So now I'm 18. Fast forward. I'm in my mid 20s. I knew I wanted to stop harming myself. I on my own went to um, see a psychiatrist after the hospital got tired of seeing me on a 72 hour hold. I think they got <laughs> wise. I was playing the system. Yeah. And um, I was playing the system because I knew if, if I went into psych emergency, I wouldn't lose my job. My landlord wouldn't kick me out. 
when you say you're in the hospital, people take you serious. It was something tangible. It was something people could see the hospital bracelet. They could see the release paper versus me telling them, I just feel sad. I don't know what's wrong. It's broken. You know, people have to see something tangible. It's changing nowadays, but people have to see something physical. You have to have a cast or you have to lose your hair due to chemo or you, you have to have something physical for people to have sympathy towards you, unfortunately. Absolutely. And I, I didn't have that. So after the hospital got lies that I was playing, you know, taking vacations and psych emergency, because when I was ready to go, RJ, I started speaking correctly. Like I was always cognizant of what was going on. But when I'm put in rooms and people are literally screaming and being held down and restrained, I would always compare myself and say, oh, I'm not I'm not that bad. I'm ready to go home. So I would straighten up and speak correctly and be vibrant. And, oh, it was just, a, you know, an episode. Da, 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 da. After so many of that, they said, mm-mm, need to see a psychiatrist. So then I was diagnosed with as manic depressive, or excuse me, diagnosed with manic depression. Um, and I'll explain that in a moment why I changed that. But diagnosed with manic depression, given Zoloft. However, I felt like I wasn't listened to. I felt like it was just a conversation of, here, take this medication. I know more than you. I got all these letters behind my name. You don't know what you're talking about. You're the one cutting yourself. Like, it was a horrible experience for me. That completely turned me off from clinical mental health care. I'm telling everybody do what's best for you. But I'm saying for me, 20 years ago, that was not the route that worked for me. Um, so I laid dormant for 10 years, hid my symptoms, um, actually did stop harming myself physically. But I still was wrestling with with certain ideas, behavior. So that's just the backstory of why I got into now present day. Um, as a mental health advocate in the mental health awareness space from a non-clinical perspective. So you're telling your story and like, as I'm listening to it, like I'm mirroring a lot of, a lot of things that uh, I relate to as well. Like there's a, there was a lot, there was a lot that, uh, you know, we had to hide. And a lot of times when we would bring up our, emotions like it was always well that's affecting me i don't care how it's mm-hmm. affecting you it's affecting me how dare you affect me and that is um i'm sorry you had to go through that um it's unfortunate i feel like that's how it was back in the day unfortunately yep. and then so i don't disagree with you with like uh psychology and at the hospital, like it was and still is a bunch of boxes to check. Do you check all these boxes? You're getting this. And that's kind of, I think the shift is happening. However, it's not happening at the same pace at every location, right? And as you get to areas, let's just call it the Midwest, uh, <laughs> it's a lot slower than it is um, in areas where you have a little bit more um, free thinking, I'll say. And, uh, I noticed that too, when it comes to substance use, substance dependency, if you go in like they, and you say like, I have a drug problem, I have a drinking problem. They instantly, you basically get a black mark and they're not listening to you. And they're just getting you out the door because that's your choice. Yes. And why are you wasting my time with your choice? Like stop doing it. And that's it. But it, the fact that you can't 
see that somebody's coming to you for help because it's obvious that it's happening, right? Like there, there needs to be more medication. Isn't just this magic pill that everything's all good, right? Like it's not just about the chemicals. It's about the pathways. And I think that gets lost. And the more stories that we tell, the more people hear, the more that people can relate, the more that we can say, you aren't a box to check, right? That is what I want to get across to so many people is I don't care what boxes you check. I care how you're feeling. What is your A to get to B to get to C? Because that's different yeah. than my A to get to B to get to C. Yeah. So what I do is not going to necessarily work one for one with what you do. What you do is not going to work one for one for somebody else. And then, you know, but there's little bits and pieces that you can take. Like, you know, maybe something I do can shorten your path from A to B. And then something that Coach V does can shorten your path from B to C. And now we're a little bit more efficient and we're skipping some of the unhealthy things we do to try to get to B and then get yeah. to C. And um, I really like that you took, instead of just being fed up with it and like just hiding it and pushing it down, you decided to do something about it. That is not something that a lot of people would do. Um, so I'm going to give you the golf clap for that because <laughs> well, <thank> you. <laughs> that is <Thank> you. <laughs> very impressive. And especially, you know, even 10 years ago, five years ago, like it's not the same world as it is now. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, like we weren't open to have discussions like you and I are right now. People would just be like, just get over it. Right. Rub some dirt on it. You're right. fine. <laughs> Stop so, doing it. Stop thinking about it. Like, oh, yeah. you know, think if it was that easy, I would have done that a long time ago. Like, <laughs> absolutely. That's and that's that's the part where I'm like, yeah. It, I so I grew up in Wisconsin, and so the Midwest. So that's why I say that because it's. I know. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the things we're still stuck in the nineties. <laughs> absolutely absolutely. And I'm in Ohio, so yes, I'm in the heart of the Midwest. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So when you are working on your mental health and um let's get into why you changed your verbiage with the manic depression. Um mm -hmm. Why, why did you change your language to give people some context? And then yeah. what really helped you get from, to, to kind of move on, right? Because I think one thing that we tend to focus on is moving past, but that's not really what we do. Like we move through. So like mm -hmm. taking those next steps, what helped you take those next steps? Yes. Yes. So um, the first part, why I changed my language and why I am the, um, quote unquote, the grammar police when I'm around other people <laughs> when we're talking about mental health is because I took two different um, classes or certifications within the past five to seven years. We're in 2022. So I'll say about five years ago, just to round it off. One of them was um, the state of Ohio offers a certification called peer recovery coach. 
And you can either get it in addictions category or you can either get it in the mental health category. And I actually have it in both. Um, And that class coupled with um, I took a class with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and they offered a class called Family to Family. And that class was geared towards individuals who care for loved ones who suffer with a mental illness because they need care and support as well. Mm -hmm. And both of those classes taught me the importance of, even though it's an intangible thing, you can see the byproduct of mental illness, but you can't see mental illness versus someone who may have um, broken their leg. You can see they have a cast, you can, they have a crutch, you know, people are nice to hold the door for them carry their bags for them because they can, you can physically see they're injured. You can physically see something's wrong, Yeah. but you don't say that that person is a broken leg or even if someone has cancer or AIDS, you don't say that person is cancer or is AIDS. You say they have AIDS or they have cancer or they have a broken leg or they have diabetes. You don't call them that thing. But when it comes to mental illness, we've been taught to improperly speak about a person who has a mental illness. We call them bipolar. We call them, oh, that's a schizophrenic. We call them, oh, no, they depressed. No, I have those things. That's not who I am. I'm not identifying as those things, but this is something I have, just as if if I would have had cancer, I would say I have cancer. So the verbiage is important because we have to be sensitive and and make the person who suffers with the illness, because it is, they're a human outside of their illness. So that's why, again, I'm the grammar police and then I censor myself as well. So we have to make it more humanized or lessen the stigma so that people can disassociate the illness from the person just like we do with anything else. So I was diagnosed with manic depression versus I'm a manic depressive. No, I'm not. I'm a whole bunch of things. I'm a woman. I'm a mother. I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm not a manic depressive. Just like I wouldn't be a cancer if I had cancer. So again, it's just a matter of being more aware, being socially responsible, and helping us to erase the stigma around mental illness. It's not, a, it's, it's not who that person is. It's a part of them or something that they have. Does that make sense? That's why I changed my, my verbiage with that. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. So I'm sitting there like just mind blown right now because I never thought about that. I've never thought about it like that. And that's why I like to get the different perspectives into all of this, right? Because... So talking with Big Kevin, that's where that's where I learned about you. That's that's where I first heard you was on the Laugh for a Purpose podcast with Big Kev. Yes. Go check Shout it out, out on all Kev. podcast platforms. Now on YouTube. Find him on YouTube. Go hit that subscribe button. So like talking with him and my sobriety journey and his journey battling depression and suicidal ideation, like they're mirrors of one another. Like we walk parallel paths. They're different hills. There's some different curves, but we're walking parallel paths. And you saying just that is like, that's something that we don't talk about 
that I never thought about that is like getting these new ideas from different places because it it helps it makes all of it and that's something with like sobriety that um i have talked about with people and they've asked well it do you identify strictly as like you're sober or an alcoholic or that and i'm like no it's a part of who i am right but it's just it's just a piece Right. And now you say that like just like everything adds on top of one another. And that's another <laughs> piece to add that we need to start thinking about. And that yeah, is brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think it's a dismiss of language. Like even when you look at someone, maybe they're they're homeless or they're presenting as homeless and they're on the street and oh, oh, they're an alcoholic. Don't give them no money. Or they're just she she's saying she depressed. What is that? She just want to lay in bed and be lazy. Like it's such a dismissive language. But we would never say that to someone who's suffering from, like I said, I always mention the big ones because people can relate to that quicker. Yeah. We've been conditioned to relate to the to cancer and AIDS quicker. Um, diabetes is now a big one as well. Heart disease, you know. But it, you would almost be stoned dismissing someone with one of those things like oh, you, don't, you don't do that and there's walks and all of these things and supportive communities and colors and whatnot but when we talk about mental illness it's such a dismissive language and so we have to one by one fight that by changing how we talk about it don't dismiss me as an alcoholic i do suffer with alcoholism don't dismiss me as she just depressed i so i am suffering with depression what do you want to do to help you know it's just anxiety. I remember um, even growing up as a teenager, one of my good friends. So I was I was raised in the Jehovah's Witness religion. So I attended the Kingdom Halls growing up. And I remember one of my good friends um, always had to sit from out of the, the main meeting room and would sit off to the side or go sit in the nursing room for mothers in the bathroom because she would have anxiety attacks. She was suffering from anxiety. And nobody really could explain what it meant. She looked fine on the outside, but now fast forward, looking at today, 30 or so years later, I get it now. But because people couldn't see it, I remember the conversations of, oh, she's faking it. She just don't want to have to participate in today's meeting, or she don't want to have to do this, or she thinks she's too good for this. It, we, we have to do better. <laughs> like we just, we just have to do better. But um, I think the conversations are changing. Um, platforms such as this and as you mentioned big calves laugh for a purpose like we're, we're doing our work um but we just have to continue to do it until everyone is conditioned like they're conditioned with the big the big ones that i mentioned until everyone's conditioned like okay we need to talk about this different this does present this way or just because this looks this way in this person doesn't mean that this person doesn't have it because they're presenting different as well so it's we're, we're doing the work rj we're doing the work <laughs> one one sentence and idea at a time right and then like you yeah. said like being creative about it too because you taking that and then putting it with mental health like yes we're talking about mental health leading to physical health leading to a lot but like that's not something that is um it's not easy to do because as i said before and how we've been raised and conditioned like we check boxes we were we we're brought up to check boxes. So that's still what we do. So sometimes breaking that box apart and being able to look in there, be like, oh, this could be related to this. Like we just have, we don't have the creativity always 
to be able to do that. So that like, yes, absolutely. Do, doing that work and making it and it just talking about things and it's not just like normalizing, but it's like, you know, the, like you said, being judgmental of people, like putting honestly our own fears onto other people because that's what we're doing a lot of the time when we're judging is we're taking our fears and putting it on other people because that's easier than thinking that um, they might have a challenge that we could somehow, that we could somehow help them through their challenge. Like we don't want to think about that because that would be too much. So it's, it's like, it's like somebody comes to us and they tell us, Hey, when, when you joke, and you joke in this way, like that bothers me because that's how I got bullied when I was a kid. Right. And so like, yeah. it still, it still bothers me when people joke about that. And I could be like, Oh, toughen up. You need to grow thick skin, like whatever. Yeah. Like that's quit being dramatic. That's not what yeah. I mean. Or I could say, okay, thank you for telling me. I will try to do better about not doing that. If I get into it, Please let me know because I, it might take me a little bit to get out of that. But I want to help you to feel comfortable so that you can be the best you. And that that doesn't take me out of my comfort zone doing that. I can still joke and have fun. And if I can't, but I, I can only do it in a way that I'm a bully, that's a me problem. That's not a somebody else problem. That's a me problem. So why, you know, like we need to do a better job of accepting When somebody says, hey, this thing, it affects me and it puts me in a place where I can't concentrate. I can't be myself. Can you help? They don't have to say, can you help me out? They're just telling you about themselves. We could be quick to put that hand out and say, absolutely. Like, I am sorry that that happened. I did not mean it that way. And I will do my best. And that's all we can do. That's all we can do is do our best. So I, I am tempering myself. I'm like that child and just want to jump around. So I'm holding my <laughs> hands because I love breakthrough moments, right? And, and light switch or light bulb moments. So what I mean by that is this. In this particular moment, listening to you, and I'm hoping everyone else is catching it. You got to understand too, RJ, me being a speaker, I repeat for emphasis or I say something a different way because it might not have caught the first time I've said it. So I tweak it and say something different. So just just interrupt me and bear with me. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to say this. It's cyclical, meaning it's a cycle when it comes to supporting or pushing the stigma around mental illness. And the scenario you just mentioned, if friend A is offended by something friend B says and friend B has not dealt with their own trauma or they have poor mental health, they're going to tell friend A, toughen up. You mm-hmm. too soft. Get over it. And that typically comes from friend B not being supported at home or in their relationship. So they feel if I can't have a voice when my things are going on, I'm not going to support your voice. So not only is that poor mental health, but that's also getting into the lines of what we talked about earlier, self-mastery. Self, self-awareness is part of self-mastery. So I first have to be aware enough and have done my work to understand that hmm, I still have some pain points that I haven't addressed. And maybe the people I'm around isn't my best support system. 
So let me treat others how I would want to be treated because if I show friend A this support, friend A can turn around and give me that support. So when I'm at home or when I'm in a relationship and I'm not getting the things that I need, we can be not codependent in a negative way, but we can support each other in helping our mental health, our emotional health, and being aware enough to say, you know what, friend, I didn't mean to offend you when I said this, so I will be more mindful but understand this is new to me. So I'm going to mess up again. And instead of you taking it personally, gently correct me again. And I promise I'll get it because I'm going to need you too in this next situation. Da, 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 da. And if we can one by one start having those conversations in our personal spaces, then they'll trickle down to our social media conversations and our conversations in the office and our conversations on car trips and our conversations standing in line at the grocery store. Sometimes people don't stand up and advocate and they're standing there suffering. If I hear a conversation behind me and it's out of pocket, we need to start reacting with mental and emotional health. How we react if we listen to somebody talking about some some crime against a child or some crime against an elderly person. Yes. We need to react that have that same or how people are. Some people are so gung ho about their country, their nationalism. We need to have that same energy when we're talking about mental and emotional health and support, react with that same visceral, like, hold on, nope, that's offensive. Da, 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 da. We need to have that same energy because one by one, we will be able to change and people will be more understanding and more aware of how important mental and emotional health is. So yeah, it's a cycle. It's a cycle. <laughs> if people don't have their stuff in order, they can't support the next person. So we all have to begin to do our work. Or as you mentioned earlier, have that mind shift, mindset shift. Like that needs to be the new trend mindset shift. What are you picking today? And I'm challenging your listeners. What are you picking today? What are you picking for the next seven days? What are you picking for the next 21 days to tweak your mindset on? If it's, if it's something like, like RJ buying a new shirt, buying a new wardrobe because you haven't <laughs> done it in 10 years, pick that, have that mindset, mindset shift. If it's something I'm currently working on mastering my eating habits, right? So I am consciously telling myself when I think I want to pick up a snack or get a whole nother thug from Penn Station that I already had one yesterday, like, no, V, we're not doing that today. We're being more mindful about our eating. We don't just eat because we're sitting in front of the TV or we don't just eat because we're bored. Are you really hungry? So we all have areas in life that we can choose to be more mindful about and make that shift, which supports our mental health. I'm just, I'm loving it so much. I am too. This conversation, <laughs> like, this is why I love conversations too, because like, this isn't what we planned on talking about, but it's just as important, you know? And it's like, we're learning from one another. We learn from each yeah. other and you can't change what you don't know. So Absolutely. when we talk about things like this, like it might, it might be the moment that that brings it up and you're like, I can change that. Like that doesn't affect me. That doesn't. That doesn't change who I am as a person. And just because I've done it that way for 10, 20 years, doesn't mean I can't change going forward. It doesn't mean that I can't be more accepting of things that are around me because that doesn't accept what I, or doesn't change what I do. It doesn't affect what I do. So why not? Why not just let people be themselves instead of putting our deepest, darkest fears on everybody else and calling a judgment and saying that I don't like them. Well, why? Because they do this. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> so like that is, that is how we can 
make our bubble right around us. And what I what I enjoyed you you said there too is look at the people you surround yourself with. So my friend Erin Brown, she says to audit your orbit. And she says to do it about once a month or every other month. Audit your orbit. Who is in your orbit? Who are you allowing in your orbit? Who who is it that has the impacts on you? Right? Because that is going to keep you in that same place. Like when I was drinking, right when I started going sober, this is right when I started going sober. Wisconsin, everything revolves around alcohol. Okay. So I didn't tell, I only told certain people that I quit drinking. Otherwise, I just wouldn't drink in people's presence. And it took a long time for them to catch on. But uh, one of the people I said, oh, I'm not drinking. And they got offended. No, you can have just one. Just just have one. You're being dramatic. You don't have an issue. And it took me a long time to realize they reacted that way because they were scared for themselves. They were seeing their fear and putting it onto me. And like that's that's not me. And yes, it did affect me negatively. Luckily I had somebody there to help me stay strong, but like hearing that, and it's like you said with the the your emotions and your feelings don't matter. It's other people taking that, right? But that was a moment where I could have slipped and who knows where I'd be right now. But I was I was lucky enough to have somebody to say, no, like He's serious. This is serious. And that gave me enough strength, that support that I needed. I needed that shoulder to put my hand on to help stabilize me. And it was there. So you need to look at your orbit. Who's around you? Do you have people that like to knock you off kilter? Or do you have people who are quick to allow you to grab onto their shoulder? Yes. Yes. And and again, again, because of my speaker mentality, I love analogies. If I broke my leg, and I had a cast from my knee to my foot and a pair of crutches. And we approached a place that had a 10-step incline. And I said, oh, I can't do it. Is there an elevator? I'm willing to bet 99.99% of the time my friend group won't say, you're being dramatic. Here, give me one crutch and we'll hobble up the steps. There's an immediate, <laughs> is there handicap access? Is there an elevator? Is there another way around? She can't go up these steps. Do you not see her cast? Because physically people can see it and they can relate because they physically see my injury. If they physically can't see it, the insensitive response is you're being dramatic. It's not that bad. You cool. I got you. You'll be okay. But there's no kickback if you can see the injury. So that's why, again, these conversations have to happen so that we can one by one help people with that mindset shift. Not to make it super simplistic, but literally that's all it is. It's a mindset shift. We've been conditioned from, from inception that these are the certain things that are important. These is how you react if people say this. This is how this, this, and this. Oh, yeah, mental health, we don't talk about that. That's taboo. So it's literally <laughs> a mindset shift. And why do you want to peer pressure me if I said I don't want to have another dream? Let me get my club soda, my ginger ale, my tonic water, and we toast and keep it moving. But again, it's a mindset shift. Just because I said no to a drink, you want your glass of wine, you do that. I'm not telling you, oh, well, just have water. I'm not pressuring you because that's your choice. So why is it okay to pressure me the other way when I'm doing something different from what either A, you're choosing to do 
or what you would prefer me to do so you don't look so bad. Like it's a mindset shift, literally a mindset shift. Absolutely. It sounds easy, but it takes a lot of work. It does take a lot of work. So like, I mean, I'm six months in and to a lot of people, six months would be like, oh, so you're pretty good right now, right? Like you have everything. You're pretty much, you're ready to take that cast off. It's like, no, I have 35 years I'm trying to work through. Like it's right. six months or 35 years. What do you think is going to take <laughs> precedent so it's like put it in perspective yes again that's because people just don't understand Uh, one another analogy i use is this if a person was four five six hundred pounds and whether they got surgery or whether they exercised and took the longer route their friend group their support group is not going to buck so much there's still going to be people who's going to buck but majority of the time, they're not going to buck so much if that person, they go out to dinner and they choose to have a salad because they're going to understand where that person came from and they're going to want to support them. They're going to understand, excuse me, that is not magic because now they've lost all of this weight. They're going to have to maintain the work they've done. So that's still working out. That's still being mindful of eating habits, being mindful of drinking water because you want to maintain the work that you've done. Because if you stop, what happens? You gain all that weight back plus some. Yep. It's the same thing with sobriety. It's the same thing with mental health. Just because I got six months of sobriety or just because I got 10 months, I mean, 10 years of staying on top of my mental health in in a non-clinical way doesn't mean that those thoughts don't still come, those memories, those triggers. But what it does mean that is I'm finally at a space in life where I'm choosing to respond in a more healthy way. So that doesn't mean I don't still get sad or old ideas don't start creeping from back here and trying to present up here or certain situations, people, places, or things that you've been in, RJ, where you was having your your binges. You know, that doesn't mean those things aren't still around because we can only avoid things so much, right? We can avoid places, people, and things, but sometimes we find ourselves in environments (laughs) or watching something on TV or overhear a conversation, and it triggers something in us, we could just as easily go back to that harmful behavior, or we could push our way through it and say, nope, I'm six months in, I'm 10 years in, I'm not going to do that. So that's why I always tell people, it's not a destination we get to. It is an ongoing lifetime journey that every single time, we don't skip a moment, every single time we're making a decision to make a healthier positive choice to not do what we used to do so people must support us in that to you one drink may be nothing but to me one drink if it's strong enough could turn into 10 and now i'm back at square one do you want that responsibility on your hands or if my relationship ending was not so traumatic to you it may be a big deal to me So give me the time that I need to heal in the process and do the things that I need to do so I don't go back to my poor behaviors at the height of my manic depression. So it's not it's not so that these things go away from us. It's just that we simply every single opportunity make a decision to make a better decision that's in our favor. Just like the person who lost all that weight. Food don't disappear because they got the the gastric bypass surgery or because they dropped 100 pounds in the gym. Cravings don't disappear. Mm -hmm. They may decrease, 
but they don't disappear. So what that means is every barbecue, every holiday, every birthday, every funeral, that person makes a choice to not overload their plate or to not have five burgers or to not drink two liters of pop in two hours. It's a constant decision that today I'm going to choose me. Today I'm going to do this. Today I'm going to do that all to benefit me and the work that I've done. Mm. Preach. <laughs> and I mean, that's why like, I, I try to tell people like, look for different perspectives and things that you can try to implement in your life because don't just have the one thing that you rely on. Because if that one thing isn't there, now you're in trouble. And like, so with sobriety, the biggest thing when you're starting is to stop, right? And when you start your sobriety journey, you do whatever you can to stay sober. Even if it's going into, you know, for me, it was Mountain Dew everywhere I went. And then it was sugar. So like candy, like if I, if I'm really stressed out, if I'm really anxious, like I'm going to, honestly, this is what I, I still do sometimes. If I get really stressed out, I get a Mountain Dew and a little Debbie. And that's, that's, that's what I do. And sometimes that helps enough. And sometimes, um, it doesn't, but I also have other things I can do. I can cook. I can play with my kids. I can go call my friends. I got video games. Like I, there's a lot of tools that I have. And now I'm adding to that with like books and friends and other things that I can go to coping skills to be able to help me through it. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, if you only build yourself up to that one thing, I need this one thing. That's it. That's that's how, that's what I rely on. If that gets taken, you're stuck. You're stuck. Yes. Yes. Or it becomes ineffective. I mean, it's just like with yeah. anything. Too much of one thing at some point, whether you call it boring, stale, you build up an immunity, whatever you want to call it. That's why two points. That's why I advocate and teach people how to create what I call a mental health self-care routine. That's a list of thoughts, speech patterns, behaviors, practices. You have an arsenal built up because let's say you love to paint, but you ain't feeling in an artistical mood. So you but you still want to make sure you push past whatever that triggering moment is. So you have to have something else in your quiver that is not painting, but that still gives you that same endorphin boost or that same adrenaline rush that painting gives that calms you down or, or whatever that feeling is that's healthy for you. So you have to create things that, again, whether you make a list, whether you have index cards, whether you have a, a, a note in your pocket with the list of five things to go to while you're out in the streets, if something happens that trigger you, you have to be prepared. It's like you're going to war figuratively, right? So in war, typically the soldiers just don't have one gun or one, uh, I don't know if it's called a ream, but I'm going to say ream, run ream of bullets. No, they have multiple things in their ankle and in their backpack and then their 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 colleague their fellow soldier got stuff like there's a multitude of things strapped on the chest you have to be prepared and one of the things i think this is a good segue one of the things that i talk about in my first book is once you identify the things that trigger you 
and the habits and the behaviors that you use to respond to those triggers and those behaviors weren't healthy, you have to replace them with something healthy. Mm -hmm. Because if I tell you, RJ, you get stressed out, don't go buy a six pack. And I just leave it at that. What's going to happen when you get stressed out and I didn't give you a tool to replace it with? You're going to default back to what you know. Even if you don't want to do it, it's all you know. So you're going to default back to that because I took something from you and told you don't do it, but I didn't give you a replacement. So now I left you empty. So you're going to default back to what you know. And then that cycle keeps going over and over again. But if I teach you how to build that arsenal, and that arsenal may change. Just because something worked for you the past six months, you may be tapped out of that. So now that's why it's a journey, as I mentioned a few moments ago. So now you got to replace some things or switch some things out. That doesn't mean they'll never work again. That just means you're going to take this out the kitty and give it a break and replace it with something else. And then maybe three months from now, you go back to that thing. Maybe you have a new inspiration and want to do a new art piece and paint. But you had to take a pause for three months because you was tapped out on that. So you had to do something else. You constantly have to reevaluate or what I call do a self inventory and find out what's still working for you, what calms you down, what keeps you centered, what puts you in that space and what's no longer working. Maybe you have to take it up a notch or get a different training in it or research on YouTube. We love YouTube, right? Research (laughs) on YouTube how other people are creating this, whatever this thing is, and try that different way. So again, those two things, create a self-care routine, right? So you can have your arsenal built up. Then also, too, if there's a behavior that no longer serves you, make a list of at least three things that you can replace that behavior with so that when that thing comes up, you're not defaulting back to, well, I know this ain't good for me, but this is all I know. So I'm going to go do this because I know it's going to make me feel good temporarily versus having those three things and saying, OK, what do I want to do today? Do I want to run? Do I want to paint? Do I want to look up this new um, artistic thing or recipe on Pinterest? Like what do I want to do today? We, ha- we have those are things we have in our control. We don't have to rely on the outside source to, to support us, be there for us, make it happen, give us the tools. And we can also, if we have a friend group or a family group that's supportive of our walk, of our recovery walk, hey, I'm about to make this new recipe. You want to come over Friday at 7 and help me out? Because, you know, today's Thursday. So can you come over tomorrow at 7 and we can make a whole event of it. We can have a whole party of it. That's how you get and build community to support you in your healing journey. For those who don't know, that was a Rolodex. So we used to have like this thing with (laughs) cards. And you had to go through it. So like you used to have like recipes or phone numbers or something. So for you young kids, it wasn't scrolling through the phone with two fingers. That was actually going through a Rolodex. Uh... So I'm tickled so much because in my vocabulary, I still say, oh, okay, I'm going to put that in my mental Rolodex. Yeah. And I'm around a certain demographic and they're looking so confused. So for me to subconsciously <laughs> just do it with my fingers and you caught it. I loved it. I loved it. I So I still have, um, I still know people who have their recipes in a Rolodex. So, yes. <laughs> and then where I used to work, a uh, lady still had her phone numbers in a Rolodex. In and, a Rolodex. And it was yes. like, is that a Rolodex? We don't have those anymore. Now you click around oh, on a screen. That is so funny. (laughs) But it's fun because it's tangible and you can feel it. So like, and it clicks. 
<laughs> We're learning all types of stuff today. Right, Mental right. Stuff, stuff is abuse support, old school technology. No, <laughs> We're learning so many things today. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. So your, so your first book. <laughs> yes. Talking about identifying what you were doing, what wasn't working, and what you can do to kind of change that. Um, what's your first book called? And then, like, what is the next step after you, let's say, you pick up a couple new habits? Like, what's the step after? So you've identified that. You have gotten two or three new healthy habits that you replaced it with. What's the step after that? Yep. So I have it here, RJ. This is my first book. I can't prepare. This is my first book. Let me get the ring light off of it. Um, So this is called uh, Renew Your Mind, Take Charge of Your Mental Health, Eight Alternative Ways to Improve Your Quality of Life, right? So I wrote this book. I released this book January of 2020, right before the whole panorama happened. Um, Planned on doing a book tour, visiting places, speaking events, and of course, all that got shut down. I've decided this year to do like a re-release, reintroduction, re-promotion of this book because (laughs) it's a very, very, very good resource. The reason why I use the word resource is I don't want to step on nobody's toes in the clinical community, and I don't advise nobody to stop listening to their medical professional. Listen to them. However, if you're looking for an additional piece that's non-clinical or even some new ideas on how to change your thought patterns or to, um, you know, a lot of times people use this book and they still get clinical treatment because they can still see support and benefit in the tools I expressed here. And again, I wrote this book because I literally put together in order the eight steps that I used 10 years ago that worked for me to stay on top of my symptoms of manic depression. So the first thing, though, in the inception of the book is to forgive yourself for being duped. Like that's what the chapter is called. Forgive yourself for being duped. And it works in the (laughs) mental health space as well as in the substance abuse space because a lot of times we fall into behaviors because we've adopted thought patterns that someone else said about us. Whether it was we weren't smart enough, we'll never be anything, we good for nothing, your daddy wasn't nothing, you ain't going to be nothing, your mama wasn't nothing, whether we were harmed as a child, um, all these things typically came from someone outside of us who we trusted. Because if some random person say something about us, you better get out my face. But if it was a school counselor, a religious leader, a parent, a big cousin, a best friend, someone at school who bullied us that we really wanted to be their friend, so we did value their opinion. If they said things to us that were harmful and we adopted what they thought about us, Those are the things that put us into a space of a downward spiral. So whether it was depression, whether it was figuring out what unhealthy ways to cope with those thoughts and feelings, such as substance abuse, such as violence, such as promiscuity. We weren't born not thinking we weren't the sugar honey iced tea. That's an acronym, read between the lines. (laughs) We were little, we were hyped up to take our first step, to say our colors, to spell our name, to say our parents' name if we were in trouble. 
we were applauded when we got our first gold scar. When we were little, we were our family and friends were our biggest fans. And at some point that stopped. When, when, when children even feed themselves the first time. <gasps> Good job. Oh, my gosh. High five. We were supported so much. And at some point, some adult or older figure in our life stopped encouraging us. It's like the dream bubble got burst. And so now we got hit with the reality, and I'm doing reality in quotes, yeah. of life is hard. Nothing is handed to you. Money is evil. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. All these things started to bombard us. Mm -hmm. And eventually we began to drink the Kool-Aid. And when we drank the Kool-Aid, we began to have thoughts, speech, and behaviors that were counterproductive to us being the best version of ourselves. So I started the book out saying, forgive yourself for being duped because you believed the foolishness that other people planted inside of you because you didn't know better. But now we're at a point in life where we are in control or we're regaining control. So now we have to forgive ourselves first for believing the foolishness that people instilled inside of us, whether it was as a child, teenager, adult or even present day. Because once we forgive ourselves for drinking a Kool-Aid, then we can understand and forgive those other people. Because sometimes lack of forgiveness keeps us stagnant. Lack of forgiveness keeps us in the space of not being better for a better version of ourselves. We're too busy holding on to that energy or to that mentality of, nope, I'll never forgive them. The forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. I can't remember what wise old sage said this, but... The, the sentence is something to the effect of not forgiving people or being angry at someone else or something like that. It's just like you drinking poison and thinking it's going to affect your enemy. Yeah. Like, no, we, we got to stop that. We got to get past that. So when we start practicing forgiveness of ourselves, we're able to forgive others and move on along our healing journey. So once we get past that point, and the reason why I started the book off that way, RJ, is because Whatever I put after that, those other seven steps, I'm not going to mean nothing to you if you still have this anger and frustration and vengeful spirit up here. So that's why I started the book off that way. It's not really until like chapter four, I'm, and it's only eight chapters, until chapter four that I'm teaching you how to replace harmful thoughts with um, healthy thoughts. So the book builds up. So you have to read the chapters in order. So to answer your question, once you're able to identify those harmful thoughts by being an observer, not a judger of yourself, because a lot of times some of us have been so conditioned to think negatively, we don't even peep it. It's became such a practice and a routine. We don't even think about it. But every moment that you look in the mirror and say, you're ugly today, or this don't look good, or you're so stupid, why did I do that? Think about how many times you're in public or on social media, you hear somebody say, I'm so stupid, why did I do that? Or, duh, I'm so dumb. That's negative self-talk. But we've become so comfortable with it, we're not identifying it. So the more that you say something, the two most powerful words are I am. So the more that you say I am and it's something that's not healthy, you're subconsciously training yourself to believe that. So that when you make a mistake, because sometimes it's all right, you just made a mistake or you had a lapse in judgment. But that doesn't mean you're stupid. That doesn't mean you're dumb. You just weren't paying attention. So now we're getting back to that increasing self-awareness and that self-mastery. So that's why first I have you observe, keep a track. I think I have a minimum of seven days in the book. 
Just keep a track of every harmful thought you have, whether it lives up here or whether it comes out your mouth. Every harmful thought you have about yourself. Not what somebody else says, just what you say about yourself. Because as you mentioned earlier, you can't correct what you're not aware of. So once you have that list, then I teach you how we mentioned earlier. If I tell you don't say this about yourself anymore, I have to give you something positive as a replacement. Because if I leave you empty, you're going to default back to what you know. Yeah. Even if it's something you no longer want to do. Absolutely. So, yeah. So once you make that list of those harmful things that you say or think about yourself, now we're going to write a list of the positive things. So if I say I am, I'm so stupid. My sentence may be, nah, I'm intelligent for real. Like I'm, I'm the updated Einstein for real. Like, and even though if you don't really believe it in that moment, we have to, it's more, it's more important to no longer say those harmful things about yourself. So again, we're still subconsciously training, right? So once we get to that point, we identify those positive statements to replace it. Now we have to practice it. And that doesn't mean we just practice in the mirror or we meditate and practice or we pray and practice. That practice also goes with when we interact with other people. So if you and I get together for lunch every Friday, you and me and a couple of our other friends, and we have this routine of jonesing on one another or capping or laughing or poking fun of one another. Now I have to teach my friend group that I no longer want to participate in this particular manner because I am consciously working on how I see myself. So y'all, my friends, kind of when we talked about sobriety, y'all, my friends, I need y'all to support this new thing that I'm doing or this new practice or this new behavior. So that doesn't mean we got to stop having fun. We can still have fun, but maybe not have fun in this particular manner because now it's not supporting or it's counterintuitive to this new path that I'm walking. And there's two choices. That friend group either gets on board or they buck against you because they're not ready to do their work. And if they buck against you, you have to be solid in the fact of no longer attending those Friday lunch dates. Because if I tell you, RJ, I need this from you, and you say, yeah, okay, but then your behavior constantly shows me you're not supporting, now the ball is back in my court to remove myself from that space until you get to a point of supporting what I asked you to do. Maybe you never get there. So that means I have to do my work in preparation and be comfortable and you never getting there, which may mean I don't meet with you Fridays for lunch anymore. So now I have to create a support system that will support that or dine alone, whatever works for me in that moment. So that's our, those are the next steps. Practicing daily in your life, that new routine, and then not asking demanding of others in your space be supportive of your new journey and being prepared for if they're not in a space to be supportive to you. Don't take it personal. Check your ego. It's not a personal attack against you. It's an attack of them not being ready. So now you have to protect yourself, your peace, your sobriety, your mental and emotional health and change the people around you. And a lot of times people don't walk with that confidence. So we build that confidence up and doing these regular routines of positive affirmations, praying, meditating, listening to audiobooks, changing the entertainment that we participate in, whether it's on social media, on TV, in real life, 
there are so many things for us to do day to day, but sometimes we get stuck in our bubble and in our routine. Yep. And we don't even explore new stuff or we're afraid. So as we continue to do our healing journey, as we continue to support our sobriety, as we continue to be mindful of our mental and emotional health, boom, analogy. People who are on their fitness journey, they stop hanging out at the hot dog eating contest or they stop going to all you can eat buffets mm-hmm. because they know they had to change their behavior and the people that are around them to support their physical health journey. Right. They maybe they shop at Whole Foods now instead of the bodega on the corner. I don't know. The point is they've changed their routine in order to match the new walk they have in life. We must do that same thing when it comes to our mental, emotional health and our sobriety. And we must be confident in that change. So those are the next steps. I'm just sitting with that for a little bit because yes. <clears throat> that is that is number one. I mean, that is it took me eight years of sobriety to finally get to the point where it's time to change my mentality because it's I'm keep putting different things into this hole in my soul. Right. And nothing is filling it back up. There are things where it's like put a piece of cardboard over it. And sometimes that cardboard is stable enough. You can kind of walk over it a little bit, but eventually it breaks and then it's just there again. Well, why is that? Well, because my default is self-loathing. So like, when people would honestly like whether it was me or not i internalized everything and i i read into everything so if i felt like i hurt your feelings that was my fault like i did it and sometimes it was and sometimes it's like i didn't mean it that way like i'm sorry but i internalized everything as i'm the worst person right so like if somebody said something about me it has to be true it has to be because I'm I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. So that is like if you can get early to that point of understanding that it's not just the things that we do, it is how we are thinking, like that is going to help you on the rest of your journey completely. So and then, you know, for example, like today's Father's Day, and you know, I woke up and I just felt like everything was fake. Like I'm not appreciated. Like nothing is, um, everything I do is just because I'm supposed to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is, and this is, this is me. And this is my mindset on any day. That's supposed to be a celebration of me. Right. So birthdays, uh, anniversaries, uh, anything, honestly, I get deeper into my self-loathing and I knew this. So like I'm working on trying to get myself out of this because I don't want other people to have to pull me out. I want to get to a point where I can start to take this and get some tools that yes, like I'm feeling this and that's okay that I have those emotions. It's okay, but that doesn't make them real because I have those emotions that doesn't make them me right like you can't control the thoughts that come into your mind you can't control your emotions that come out 
but you can control your actions. You can control your responses. You can control what you do with them. Are you going to let them sit there and believe them and cause you to go back on things? Or are you going to say, I know that this is coming. I'm not going to act on it because I know where it's coming from, but I need to do something different. I need to, you know, like, um, here's an example. Like what I don't want to celebrate myself as much as where I am. Like, I still don't want to celebrate myself. So like, even like my sobriety date, like I don't make a big deal about it, anything, my birthday, whatever. And part of that's just because of how I was raised. Part of it is society, stuff like this, other things that I've had. But I want to make today about putting smiles on my kids' faces. And I want them to do it with daddy. Like, that's what I want them to think of Father's Day as. I don't want them to think about it as it's just a day for daddy. Like, I want them to think about it as it's a day that I get to laugh with daddy. So a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game came out. And they love it. And I love it because I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I want to order pizza and I want to have a pizza party and play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with them. So I'm going to do that. That's something I'm going to do with them today. And I'm very excited about it. And that is me (laughs) taking these thoughts and instead of allowing it to dictate how I feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should let them go do something with somebody else and this way they don't have to be around me. No, I'm going to take, I'm going to say, no, this is what I want this day to mean. So I'm going to take actions to make it mean that. And, you know, my boys are two and four, so they're still very impressionable. And I have to be not just an example, but I want to be that example that shows healthily the relationship that we have. And I don't want them to feel like they have to do things a certain way to affect me. I want them to know that they get to do things their way as long as it's healthy, right? As long as it's not destructive, as long as there's, you know, something behind it, I want them to be themselves and I'm going to be happy with that. And that's what I want kind of today to kind of lead to. So like, I love that you brought that up. I love that that's your first chapter. That's the step. And that is the, that's the longest, that's the hardest part. That's the, that is the work. That is the work. Some days it's not going to be work. Some days it is. And that's just, that's part of life. That's part of being human. That's part of being us. Agree. One of the things I don't um, advertise openly on my website or I don't talk about openly is I am clear audience. So clear audience is a spiritual gift that means you hear messages um, from the creator, from God, whatever, whatever the universe, whatever, whatever floats your boat, listener. I want to get hung up on the word. And so I use that gift when I'm coaching um, clients one on one. And as I'm listening to them speak and certain words pop in my head, certain phrases pop in my head. And then I teach on that. Number two is, well, you can tell by my charming personality, but I am an advocate of self-love and giving gentle pushback 
on um, thought processes, speeches, and it comes from a space of love. Mm-hmm. So I'm prepping you, RJ, because I want to say this, because I'm pretty sure there's several listeners that can benefit from this little nugget I'm about to share, including myself. So when I talk to people, I'm still listening to myself yep. because I be, I be needing the counsel too, right? <laughs> same, same. <laughs> yeah, so here's here's this. When people, and then we're going to keep, you know, it's general because people can pick out what resonates with them. When people come from a space of um, what we'll call self-loathing, that's the term that you use. Typically, maybe a lot of people may not be uh, comfortable or familiar with that term, and maybe they don't want to Google. So let's do some um, smaller words that are synonymous with self-loathing or, or some feelings that um, can like if you're doing the old school web, where you put yeah. the thought up here and then draw the lines down. Yep. Let's, let's pick a couple words that um, can make self-loathing, that term more palatable to your listeners. What are two words that may come to mind for you? So like hatred and um, I guess demeaning or um, okay. uh, so like talking down yeah, to yourself yeah, or thinking yeah. down thoughts about yourself. I would also add to that. So, so, so again, audience. So, so what RJ is saying is we're talking about the term self-loathing, loathing, excuse me. We're talking about a hatred towards ourselves or demeaning behavior or speech towards ourselves. Um, I totally agree with that. I will also add into sometimes maybe it's not as big as hatred. Sometimes it's a dislike. You know, but when you think about loathing, you think about an extreme emotion towards yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, I don't like green beans, but I'll eat them. But I refuse, despise to eat liver and onions. Like that's a non-negotiable. I will not do it. I don't <laughs> care. I will starve first. Yeah. So somebody may say like, oh, she loathes liver and onions. I do. I, I don't. I don't like the smell. Chitlins, none of that. Like that's not in my wheelhouse. So I just made that comparison to say, again, just to make it palatable for the audience. I don't like streaming, but if they doctored up, I'll eat them. But you, there's nothing you can do to liver and onions and chitlins, right? So, again, just to try to make a real-life comparison to, I don't like this, I kind of hate this, but this right here, I despise. I'm not doing it. Don't touch it. Don't bring it around me. But that being said, I challenge any of you who may be experiencing those types of feelings toward yourself, right, to identify, and, and RJ, you've already done it to an extent as well, to identify where those feelings are coming from. So whether it's something from childhood, whether someone put you down, whether they bullied you, whether they harmed you in some way, whether they made you feel, keyword, guilty, right? Identify what that feeling was, that point in your life, when did that thing happen? Because one thing we can't control unless we have some sort of physical, physiological illness, physically, we continue to grow. Our birthday comes every year. If something traumatic happened to us at age 10, we still turn 11 and 12 and 13 and we get grown and get 20 and 30 and 40. So physically, we still grow. But mentally and emotionally, we may still be 10 at some extent because we never properly addressed that trauma, got the support we needed, got the closure we needed, got the healing we needed, put whatever word you want to put in there. So physically, we're still growing, but mentally and emotionally, we stopped. Because that thing stopped us from growing. 
Yep. So when we think about that thing, or some of us unfortunately have a list of things, such as in my case as well, we have to, as I mentioned earlier, do a self inventory and make a list and identify, okay, well, this happened to me when I was 12. This was very impactful at 16, as I've already shared my story earlier. This happened to me at 16. This happened to me at 18. This happened to me at 23. These are the, these are the most pivotal moments that I can remember that hurt me, traumatized me, took something from me. Again, fill in the blank. When you make that list of those things, and you'll know when you be in surface level because you won't take it serious. So I always tell people when you start your list, your first 10, and I'm just picking a number, your first 10 to 20 is all going to be surface level stuff because it's rapid fire coming out on the list. Once you get to the point where you got all that surface level out and you really have to start thinking about now we're really ready to do the work. So maybe I need to take a day break and come back to the list because I didn't spewed out all of the surface level things. They still had an impact on me, Mm -hmm. but they're still surface level. So now when I go back to this now list, now I'm writing down the bigger things, the deeper things, the lack of relationship with my dad because I looked like my mom and I didn't have nothing to do with that. But he couldn't stand the sight of me because I reminded him of the woman he hated. So I did. And this is a true story. So I don't ha- I didn't have a relationship with my dad, even to the point that he passed in 2005. So I had to heal from that. And my grieving was more so from, hey, we'll never get to fix this versus he just died. It was the reality like, wow, he'll never get to really see me for who I am, get to know my interest. At the time, I didn't have children, but no, I didn't have to. I had my two babies. I'm sorry. Get to know his grandchildren. Like, what am I going to do with this? Do I carry this anger and disappointment for the rest of my life? Or do I heal this? Because I, I'm not going to dig him up and I don't want him coming back to visit me. So <laughs> I got to wash my hands of that. Like, yeah. I got to put that at rest. I'm saying that to say this. Sometimes there's things that happen to us in life that due to circumstances, again, in my situation, my dad passed or some other reasons, you're not going to be able to get the closure how you think you should be able to get it. So now you have to get creative and sit back at the table and say, is this something I can let go of or do I have to go to someone else to get this closure? And sometimes the answer is no, you got to let go of that person six feet under like you got to let go of that. And again, I'm using myself because we want to keep this general just to give you ideas. But we have to identify why do we hate, despise, feel guilty about why do we loathe ourselves? Because us choosing not to celebrate ourselves is a direct byproduct of why we loathe ourselves. Because we don't feel like we're worthy of celebration. We don't feel like we should be supported. We still feel guilty about A, B, C, D, and E. And sometimes the things we feel guilty about ain't our burden to bear. So we have to identify what really was I responsible for and what I wasn't responsible for, but I feel like I should be because of A, B, C, D, and E. Once we identify the real reasons, the real issues, the real challenges, Now we can identify ways to heal from that or to get the closure or to resolve it or to apologize, whatever it is. But we have to understand that just because we're ready to apologize and make amends doesn't mean that that person we've offended has to accept it. 
So that means we have to be, again, solid in our stance of understanding that's their choice. But that doesn't mean I have to keep carrying this burden. I've done what I felt guided to do by spirit. That person is not in a space to receive it. I have to lay that down. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer guilty, responsible, afraid, vulnerable. I have to lay that down. So until we come to a moment of realization where we're in control of that, we're not in control of how people receive us, but we're in control of putting that burden down instead of choosing to still carry it. Then we can get to the point, okay, well, yep, these are the first three things that make me feel this way about me. Boom, boom, boom. Check, check, check. Let me go over to this list over here. So again, it's an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing piece of work because who are we to say to the people who love us? You can't celebrate me. I don't deserve it. No, I hear what you're saying, boo. But let me tell you why you do deserve it. Boom, 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 boom. So you can't stop me from celebrating you. But then, of course, I want you to enjoy it, right? I don't want to just force it upon you. I want it to be a genuine appreciative act. And you genuinely feel celebrated. And you genuinely feel this way, so on and so forth. So that's why it's our responsibility to do the work however we see fit, whether it's clinical or non-clinical, do the work however we see fit to get to the bottom of why do I feel this way about myself? Because our children, now my babies ain't babies no more. They better be 19 to 21 in August. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. But they still want to celebrate me, right? So I don't want to deprive them of celebrating me on a quote unquote day or time that man says, celebrate me. Now I'm too, again, as I told you, I was raised Jehovah's Witness. I was raised not celebrating holidays. So it's new to me to celebrate holidays. Um, But because I was raised that way, I have a strong mentality of, I don't need a man-made day to tell me when to celebrate me. Celebrate me all the time because I'm amazing. But with that being said, I don't want to take that away from my family. For instance, I wasn't feeling that way this year for my birthday. I had a lot of other things going on. And then my birthday ran right on the weekend of Mother's Day. So my birthday is May 6th. Mother's Day was May 8th. I stayed in bed that weekend. But then I had a redo two weeks later. But I communicated to my family, y'all know what I got going on. I'm not feeling it. Y'all know how I am about my energy. So I need this time to recharge. I don't want to bring my funk and dribble it on everybody else and be fake in a celebratory mood. So get let me have my time. And then we matter of fact, we're going bowling Tuesday. We're going bowling Tuesday. So it's not my birthday anymore. It's not mommy's day weekend, but now I'm present enough to celebrate. And I don't need no man-made holiday to tell me that I'm sharing that story to say this. You always know what's best for you. And you teach the people around you how to support what's best for you. And then you do a redo if a redo is necessary. Because we want to let the people who are around give us our flowers while we're here to still smell them. And that could look like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and pizza. But the energy behind it, we want them to know like, no, I'm the sugar honey iced tea. So you're supposed to celebrate (laughs) me, support me, because, yes, I am doing the things I'm supposed to do as a mother, as a father, as a provider, as a spouse. I'm doing all the things. But, yes, you can show me your appreciation as well. Right. So it's it's the issue of not an issue. It's the challenge of finding a balance. 
without it being so much pressure from the outside world because it's a birthday, a holiday, an anniversary, da, 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 da. It's a balance of you still do those things because I want to feel celebrated. I'm working on healing some trauma. So this will help me. But then you can also have the input and say, but I don't want to go drinking to celebrate because y'all know my journey. (laughs) I want to go over here and celebrate, right? Mm -hmm. So we still have input and control while still allowing those people who truly love us and support us to give us our flowers while we can still smell them. So that's just a little note for myself, for RJ, for everyone listening to identify why we choose to not play out loud, hide in the shadows, whatever you want to call it, and then deal with those things head on. Because I promise you, it's fun playing out loud. It's fun. And the people around us are going to increase the fun because we're fun. And we're going to do the things that I want to do. So you can celebrate me because there's going to be a moment where physically you won't be able to celebrate me. And I don't want to put you in a position of feeling sad, feeling what it could have, should have, because I didn't allow you to celebrate me when I was physically here. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So it may take some time to process that, to do that work, but it's just a little, uh, just a little note uh, from me to you back to me. And so the audience suggests, because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people, I, I had a bout of that. You know, like I just said, it wasn't um, a super um, internalized mental and emotional challenge in May. It was more so what was going around physically and me rebuilding. And just, I felt like just things weren't working out, how I wanted them to work out. So it took a toll. So me being self-aware, I said, no, I know my birthday this weekend, but this weekend I, I need to, to self-care. I need to do some self-care. I need to relax. I need to pray, I need to meditate, I need, to draw, I need to do some things, and then boom, we back. So, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and pizza is the bee's name. But just <laughs> also to just consider, you know, some of the things we just talked about now. Because you should be celebrated, whether it's your six-month sobriety, eight-year sobriety, you being an amazing dad.com, you building an amazing platform with this podcast, you having a new wardrobe and a new attitude to match, like, you figuring out the technical difficulties this morning, like you need to be celebrated every moment, all of the things, because there will be a moment where physically we can't give you your flowers. So you better take them now, but we can give them to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's something that so, yeah. sometimes we need that outside support, that outside look, because you lose yourself. You lose the forest through the trees, right? Absolutely. Very good. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Coach B. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, you finish. Finish yours, please. No, I just want to say really quick. There's a chapter, I think it's maybe seven, chapter seven or eight in my book where um, it's all dedicated to celebrating every win. And so because a lot of times people don't celebrate the small wins. Yeah. And. I literally share in the chapter ideas and suggestions. A celebration doesn't always have to be a big fanfare. It could be treating yourself like when we were little. Oh, you did good. We did some ice cream at Graders. Um, excuse me. As an adult, it can be that same thing. If you love butter pecan ice cream and that'd be a nice treat for you to go down to the local ice cream parlor and get you a sugar cone and two scoops of butter pecan ice cream because you rocked it this week and whatever journey you're walking, go do that. 
take a picture, take a selfie, post it, and just say, hey, I got me two dips of butter pecan ice cream because I done went another week in my sobriety. Or I done went another week without cussing somebody out at work because they know I punched somebody in their face and I'm working on my mental health. Or Make it as silly or upbeat as you want to, but let your community know, hey, I'm celebrating this accomplishment. Whether it's dancing, what they say, what they say, dance like nobody's watching to your favorite song, whether it's taking a drug, whatever it is that makes you feel good. Because when you pick a celebratory act, it's like that reward incentive type of thing. If you do this for the next seven days, this is your reward at the end of the week. And again, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be extravagant. It could be ordering that $30 specialty pizza from your favorite pizza place and it's just you eating it. Celebrate every win because what you're teaching yourself subconsciously is to get back to that mentality when you were younger and you were celebrated for taking your first step and for using the potty and for knowing your colors (laughs) and knowing your ABCs. It takes you back to that memory. And so now as an adult, you have access to more resources to celebrate, right? In a healthy way. So when you say at the end of the week, okay, if I go all this week and I'll get into an altercation with somebody, I'm going to buy myself that new pair of shoes. And I got a 30% off coupon, I'm getting them. So now you're training yourself again. You're rewarding yourself again for good behavior. So you have something to look forward to. And even if, because I'm known to do this, even if I'm presented with a challenge, and it may not make sense to you, RJ, but it makes sense to me to say, RJ, get out my face. You're not blocking me from the new pair of tennis shoes. And you may look at me like, what? Because we're arguing or whatever. You may look at me like, what? <laughs> I'll have to explain it to you. I'm reminding myself my reward at the end of the week. So that may be enough in that moment for me to to wish you a good day and walk away. Right. But again, having that arsenal, how we talked about earlier, I may be able to do that in your face. But then when I get home, I may have to pray, meditate or I may have to take a 15 minute break at work and go to my car. You know, so you have those list of things. You have that routine in place for the various scenarios that will be presented to you that will challenge whatever your healing journey is. But at the end of the week, I'm successful. I'm getting my gym shoes and I'm taking pictures <laughs> and I'm getting a new outfit because I accomplished that. But I go into next week knowing this is a new week. I have a new reward. I have new challenges I have to overcome. And as I continue to stack up those wins, when those things that triggered me six months ago present themselves, they won't have such a great impact. Because I got all these wins over here. So now you come at me, it's like, you a little mosquito bothering me. You're not this big bear, big dinosaur, big dragon now because I've knocked you down. I've worn you out in hopes that in the future, that thing that triggered me six months ago, it won't even get me to ruffle my feathers now because I for six months have beat you. But that doesn't mean nothing else going to come up. That's why I've got to keep my head on the swivel, Right. right? always have that arsenal going. Mm -hmm. But the more wins that I have, the greater the chance of my success when that next thing happens. Yeah. That is, (laughs) that is valuable insight. That is, it is, it's something that, it's one of those things where I talk about it too, celebrating those little wins, right? Celebrate that week, that month. Uh, well, see, sometimes you got to take your own advice. I don't always do it. Boom, but... there you go. There you... Or sometimes somebody has to repeat it to you in a different way. Because yep. I always tell my clients, 
at the beginning before we start working together. I am not going to tell you anything new. I'm going to reiterate or confirm information you already know, and maybe you need to hear it differently. I promise mm. you. Most of the time, people are like, okay. But then after we've had some sessions or after we've completed a program, they're like, you said, I'm like, yeah, I did. I'm not going to tell you anything new. That's what a coach does. Just like coaches on a sports team, they don't need to tell the basketball players their position and how to shoot and how to do that. They're basketball players. They know how to do that. But the coach is there to remind them of a defensive move or offensive move or not to shove this person so we don't get a penalty or keep your head in the game because I see you stressing out because we down 20 points. That's what coaches do. We reiterate the information you already know or we present new ideas to you in a practical way so that you get them, they click, and you're able to tweak it and implement it in your day-to-day life. That's what coaches do, and that's what I do. So I didn't tell you anything new. I just repackaged it and gave it back to you. <laughs> it's a wonderful present, and I appreciate it. Coach B, <laughs> if people want to keep up with you, where can they find you? So I am on the social medias at Coach V M P. V is spelled V-E-E, not just the letter V, at Coach V M P. I am actively focused on growing my Instagram. I feel like there is not enough mental health influencers, period, in the social media space, let alone mental health influencers of color. So if any, if I had to pick a platform, please feel free to follow me on Instagram, Coach VMP, but I'm Coach VMP everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, um, my little YouTube channel, no, my YouTube channel is Coach VMP, my TikTok is Coach VMP, um, my website is www.coachvmp.com, so if you Google Coach VMP, I promise you I'll pull up because I Google myself regularly to check and see where I am. So if you Google <laughs> Coach VMP, you can follow me there. And then the book that RJ and I talked about in reference, you can get it in two places. One is my website um, and one is on Amazon. The difference being if you order from my website, you get a signed copy. So when I blow up, you'll have your proof that you knew me. No. Um, so my <laughs> website, you can get a signed copy. The one um, ordered on Amazon. Um, it's just going to come, you know, directly from Amazon. But Amazon offers the digital book as well as the uh, paperback. It is literally only 68 pages. I can show you. It's literally <laughs> 68 pages. And that was purposeful because I despise books with a lot of fluff. I ain't got time to be reading all your backstory about your grandma. No, tell me how I can fix my life. So <laughs> it's only 68 pages. At the end of each chapter, there are exercises to do. I don't know if the light's catching it, but there are exercises to do. So I wrote a book, a self-help book with, uh, it's kind of a workbook too, because Mm -hmm. my intent is before you move on to the next chapter, for you to implement the new ideas and concepts that I presented, because as I mentioned earlier, each chapter builds upon one another. Um, It's a great gift for friends and them, or it's something that you can have, you know, on your own and use it as a consistent resource. I love it. So all of those, you can find it in the description below on YouTube or podcast. 
Uh, I have it all listed with the links and everything. So make it easy to find Coach VMP. Thank you for joining us. Like this conversation, it was it, it was amazing. I think for people who are just starting to find themselves, just starting to identify what they would like to change. And also for people like me who have been working on it for a little while. So thank you so much for coming by Untapped Keg. So for those who don't know, this is Untapped Keg, a podcast exploring different perspectives about sobriety and mental health so that hopefully you can find something to implement in your own life. We really, really would love it if you'd go to youtube.com slash untapped keg, hit that subscribe button, hit that bell so that you can be part of the show. Subscribe on all podcast services. Leave us a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, if you're on Good Pods, if you're on Spotify, give us that five-star rating and let us know how we're doing. And then if you want, you can go to untappedkeg.com and you can kind of send us a message. Let me know if you'd like to be on the show. Let me know if there is something there that, uh, something you'd like to see different in the show, uh, something that I can improve upon. Um and yeah, so all social media, Untap Keg, DMs are open. If you're struggling, reach out. I will be ears. I will be a shoulder. I will help you find resources if that's what you need. And we can go through it together so you're not alone. So let's, uh, let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today. Because at least we don't make it, we tried. Have a great week, everybody. I love you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.